DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in David Nixon, his weekly visit, BYU TV football analyst, former Cougar linebacker. David, good morning. What is going on, guys? Well, that is what I want to ask you because, you know, before news breaks officially, you can sometimes hear things unofficially. You know, there's a few whispers before people start shouting. Just wondering if you're hearing anything about potential games or if it's totally quiet, news blackout, nothing cooking. It's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, obviously no games been announced, not a lot of rumblings. What I do know is that Tom Homo sent out uh, 10 plus contracts to teams and, and nobody's willing to play us. So um, he's trying and, and you feel for him. This is a hard time in the season to try to pick up games when, you know, people are still dealing with COVID. Others are trying to protect their, their records and uh, it's, just, it's just a big mess out there. So he's trying. It's not like he's sitting on the sidelines just twiddling his thumbs. He's out there trying to pick up games, but nobody's willing to play BYU. So. Uh, we'll see if, if there's a late cancellation that BYU could pick up late this week. But as we sit today on Wednesday, it's looking like BYU probably won't have a game this Saturday. So we've seen over the years that teams and coaches have politicked to get themselves in, whether it was the BCS Bowl games or now the New Year's Six. You know, they didn't win their conference or whatever it might be, but they still went to town to campaign. Do you think that the Cougars – a, will, which probably is no, they won't, but should they then, if it comes out, they beat San Jose State and they don't get anybody to bite and play them, do you think at that point, they because they could have a week uh, at least before the season ends and the committee meets to put out its final rankings, if they don't play that final week, they would have played the week before. So if they go 10-0 and zero and they don't get any takers, spend that week then campaigning. Hey, listen, man, we did everything we could, and teams wouldn't play us. What do you want us to do? We were willing, but nobody would play us. Spend that time campaigning then. Put the word out there. 100%. I mean, what do you have to lose, right? I mean, if you're, if you're Tom Hobo and you're Kalani and you're going on air and going on record and saying, we tried to play people, but they wouldn't play us, and what is there to lose, uh, especially if you're not calling specific teams out. But, uh, but right. to that point, listen, we, yeah, we still have two or three more weeks of the season left, um, especially with cancellations. They might try to make them up later. Uh, you know, there's still lots to be played out here. I know BYU fans are thrilled with the number 13 ranking, uh, but then you start to go down the list and the teams in front of BYU and who they still have to play. I mean, for example, Indiana has to play Wisconsin this week without Indiana's quarterback, their star quarterback, who's now out for the season. Uh, and so – you know, that's most likely a loss. So all of a sudden they drop, um, and then you just keep going down from uh, Miami's got to play North Carolina here in a, a week or two. I think it's next week. Uh, they play Duke this week. And North Carolina is ranked 17th, right? So there's a potential loss. And so there's going to be some teams that lose in front of BYU, and that's what Barta said, uh, the Coastal Playoff Committee chair said yesterday. Uh, if, you, if you notice, he, he said, listen, really the only way for BYU to move up is if they play somebody worth anything. Uh, or two, you just got to hope for teams are afraid to lose. And I'm on the, uh, the optimistic side that I think there's going to be some of these teams in front of BYU that are going to lose, like we saw um, this past week with, uh, with the Northwestern loss and then drop below BYU. So there's still a lot of reshuffle to go. I know it feels like two or three weeks isn't that long to determine the season, but as we've seen, I mean, things move quickly with college football. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these teams in front of BYU take an L and, and BYU just kind of slowly moves up 
and somehow if it's in that top ten, I mean, it's only three spots away. But, uh, but in the meantime, it's painful. I mean, it is. It's almost like every Tuesday, Dewey fans have to relive this whole ranking thing. It's like ripping the Band-Aid off every time, every Tuesday at 5 o'clock and seeing where the BYU's not moving much, uh, despite what the national media is saying. I mean, you, you've seen the ESPN guys go on record, and they're vouching for BYU, saying they should be you know, ranked much higher. But obviously the committee doesn't see it that way. But, uh, you know, BYU is a stitch right now. You take care of business against San Diego State. Uh, you go out there and campaign a little bit, and you hope some teams are playing lose, and hopefully you find yourself in the top ten here in the next three weeks or so. Okay. <clears throat> Man, I, I got like – Multiple things to say off that answer, but let's just start with this one. I think they should campaign, and they've got a relationship with ESPN, and you can literally, you, they don't even want you to fly to Bristol, right? They, they want to uplink you from BYU TV. So that Tom Homo, at, at most he's got to walk across a parking lot or down a flight of stairs. I mean, they will, you're right there. But I just can't see him doing multiple live shots with, uh, Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter and with Stephen A. Smith on, on uh, Take Two. I mean, I, I, just, I just can't see it. Well, here, here's, here's my thing. I think, Tom, with this being kind of real, I'm, last week Thanksgiving was a mess because the players were leaving and they pretty much figured they're going to have a week off. So this is really Tom's first week to really try to put a game together. Now, obviously, it's not looking great right now, but at least he's doing the work. And so now when he does go campaign – He's not lying on, on, you know, with in front of a national audience with the media and saying, hey, we, can, you know, we tried to make it work. We couldn't make it work. No, he's actually putting the work this week. And so now he's got uh, evidence that he went out there and tried to get games and obviously he couldn't. And so now he can go to the media and, um, you know, vouch for that. So, uh, yeah, I, I get it. I think, listen, this year with, with how big these payouts are in the New Year's Six, and, and as we've seen, BYU's in a shortfall of $20 million. Uh, they understand what's at risk and what's at stake. And I, I, can, I can assure you they're going to probably try to do everything possible. Now, granted, obviously it's not BYU's uh, kind of objective and goal to go out there and campaign for themselves. It's just not kind of in their nature. and It's not in Tom's nature. Right. But, but with everything at risk and with the money at play uh, and with the team that Dewey's put together this year, I, I could see them really making a push here in the next few weeks. But, but once again, you've got to put in the work now so when you do go in front of the, in front of the media – uh, you're telling the truth and saying, "Yeah, we really did try to sign up ten plus teams, and nobody would play us." It was, you know, we, we did our we did our side of the bargain. Now we try to reward us for our at least our attempt. So ten plus years ago, when BYU went to go independent, the big thing was exposure. If you use that as the barometer, then could you argue this season already has been a smashing success because the exposure they got with all the ESPN and Urban Meyer on Fox and various media all over the place campaigning for them. It seems like BYU has never been talked about more. 100%. And we've always said that with independence, right? I mean, you have to win in independence to get the exposure and to be relevant. And, and BYU, back when you had Taysom and Jamal early, you know, in Derek Kalani's areas last year, uh, you know, that was a dynamic duo. Obviously, the, you know, the ball didn't roll their way in a certain game, so they weren't as relevant. Um, but when you're independent – and you're playing on ESPN every week, and you're winning, and you're now ranked, uh, it, it goes to plan. And that's exactly what you want to see with independence. And, and li- listen, you guys have probably mentioned on your show, but look at the recruiting. I mean, BYU would have picked up uh, Damuni and Logan Fano from Tempview, two big recruits, and were able to kind of lock them down. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of this wave of, of kids taking note and uh, you know, also seeing Kalani and, and how lively he's been this season. I mean, it's been fun on our BYU TV postgame uh, when we interview him after games, you can tell the guy's just, he's loving life. 
Uh, and I think it's he, he's created that culture within the program where everyone's bought in. Uh, and, and when you have that type of culture, then that's a winning culture. And people would love to come to work, right? The players love to come to practice uh, because you, you not only are you winning, but you also have that culture you build. So um, it's contagious and it's fun to watch, you know, this, this current team, but also watch the recruits starting to catch on and, and hopefully you can kind of ride this wave of momentum. Obviously it helps to have a, a quarterback like Zach Wilson and most likely he goes pro, but um, you know, th- this is what you try to build upon where you've got guys in the wings waiting to take over the guys that leave spot and uh, have them prepared and, you kind of build that program and just keep riding that success. So uh, I'm I'm totally with PK on the exposure thing. If you're if BYU's in a conference, they're not playing Navy in the only game on Labor Day night. You know that that game can only happen because you're independent. If you'd been in the Mountain West or if you're in the Pac-12, the leagues are shut down and you're not playing. So there's a huge benefit there. Now the other thing that happens as an independent is you don't play on the conference title weekend. And BYU should catch the loser of the Big 12 title game. I think that's going to be Iowa State, Oklahoma. So they pick up a spot there. But Oklahoma State's at 15, and presumably they won in the New Year's Six and need a big-time win to, to climb. I'm wondering if BYU could get a game with them or a team like Texas A&M that is fifth and probably wants to be in the top four and might need one more win to make their case, you know, depending on how the Notre Dame-Clemson game plays out in the ACC title game. Do you think there's any chance to get any of those teams? Do you hear anything about that? Is Tom working those angles? Or you don't know? You know, I haven't heard anything about those angles, but I've had the exact same thought. I mean, if there's any year where you obviously you can go schedule a game the week of or shoot three days before, uh, then it's this year. And, uh, yeah, if you're the Big 12, if you're the ACC, any of these teams that you've got a team on the fringe and within like, you know, the 15 to maybe 18 spot, and you want to try and improve their, their ranking to try to give in at that large bid, then, yeah, why not take on BYU? And, of course, as a, as a BYU fan, you you understand you've got to strengthen your schedule so you'll play anybody. Um, so I, I agree. I, I thought the same thing. Why not let this kind of play out and all of a sudden the teams that aren't in the championship game or that lose, you try to sneak in one last game before the committee makes their minds up. So um, I think – listen, I think that's the reason this year is kind of frustrating for BYU fans is because any other year it's like, hey, the schedule's set. Yeah, I mean, you can't really do anything about the schedule. We can't go schedule people all the week of. Um, and I think people are content with that. But, but now Monday, Tuesday rolls around of any given week, and, and BYU fans are on eggshells refreshing Twitter every 20 seconds, wondering, <laughs> hey, is, is, there, is there some type of announcement out there? Did Tom Homo schedule a game? And it's just, I think it almost is more painful in that sense because you're just on, uh, you know, just sitting on the edge of your seat trying to see if, if you can schedule some type of game that week. So, um, you know, it is what it is, but I, I can't confirm that Tom has sent out contracts over 10-plus teams, and, and just nobody's willing to step up to the plate right now, which, man, I can only understand how frustrating it would be for Tom. And, and not only for Tom, but it's Kalani and these players, right? I mean, this is a team that's, that's felt like they've been slapped in the face a little bit with this ranking. I mean, they're, they're number eight in both polls with, with everyone else across the country, and all of a sudden they find themselves five spots back with these, you know, this committee, per se. And so I think these guys want to get back on the field ASAP to prove that they're worthy of a top-ten ranking, but – uh, obviously it's tough to do that when nobody else will step up to the plate and play it. So they do have San Jose State next week. Uh, assume they win, they go 10-0, and zero, and then we'll see about the bowl. And just for sake of argument, the committee doesn't really budge them enough to move into this New Year's Day 6. And so the New Year's Day 6 has become the ultimate goal here for the next few weeks. With that in mind, if that is really the end point that you want, 
Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that it is, but it's here now and you want it. But if you want it all the time or have the opportunity to be it all the time and you don't get it now, when are you ever going to get it? So brings up the question, should they consider the Mountain West or AAC? Because then they can get an automatic bid if they run the table and take care of business. Yeah, I mean, there'll be a good case study, right? If, if you can't get into near six as an independent at 10-0, um, but you could have as a as a G5 winner, uh, then maybe, yeah, it, it begs the question of whether you go back. I mean, listen, I've, I've been on record that you've got to stay independent. I mean, if, if for, for recruiting purposes alone, if Collie goes into Raider DeMuni and, and Logan Fano's homes and says, hey, we're in the Mountain West, but we're, you know, year in and year out, we're at the top and, and we're winning the Mountain West to come play for us. And all of a sudden the next day, uh, you've got Kyle Whittingham goes in the same homes and says, look, we're the Pac-12, come play for us. I mean, it's a no-brainer at that point, right? At least Kalani at this point has a little bit of a pitch when he goes in those kids' homes and says, listen, yeah, we're not in the conference. We're not buying for a conference championship, but we are playing on ESPN and, and ABC primetime uh, every week. And, and, and your parents, your family, everyone across the country can see you. And, and, oh, wait, we're also playing in NFL stadiums as we see BYU kicking off against Arizona next year. They played in FedEx Stadium. They played in you know, uh, the Patriots game all over the place. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a little bit of a lure there, a little bit of pitch that you can give. But the second you go to the Mountain West, there's not much of a pitch. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to compete with the Pac-12, and obviously uh, it is what it is. So, you know, I, I'm a firm believer you got to stay independent. But, but to your point, listen, if they, if they can't get in the New Year's Six this year, undefeated with the players they have, with the Heisman hopeful, all the hype that's been around them, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know really when you could make it into the New Year Six, um, and so and so you've got to probably open your eyes a little bit and look at the AAC option or look at some type of hybrid with the Mountain West, where at least you still maybe have your same TV contract, but you can still play. You know, you still play within the conference. You know, I, there might be some arrangement there, but um, yeah, it's just a uh, it's just a tough year. And it, I think that's a bummer. And we we've, we've talked about this as well, right? This, this BOU team, it would have been so fun to see them stack up against this the original schedule. And not only the original schedule, but the teams haven't turned out to be, you know, Minnesota hasn't turned out to be the Minnesota that we thought they'd be. Um, and, and, of course, the youth are now in a rebuilding year. Uh, and, and you've got, you know, the teams of Michigan State's not near as good as, as you know, they, they have in the past. And so, I don't know. I mean, it would be, it would be an interesting schedule to see them play out. But, uh, obviously, it is what it is. And we're at where we're at right now. But um, fingers crossed that things kind of play out. I'm still optimistic. I'm still optimistic the teams are fun will fall. They'll, They'll, uh, they'll tumble and, and BYU will find themselves in the top ten. But if they don't and they find themselves, I think Brett McMurphy put out the, uh, the bowl projection. Was, I think it was BYU like the New Mexico Bowl or something against San Jose State. I mean, what a disappointment, right? Um, <laughs> and and uh, that would be a huge letdown. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's college football. You just kind of chalk it up to a crazy COVID year and move on. The New Mexico Bowl in uh, suburban Dallas in Frisco. So... Really, if you're going to play San Jose, yeah, there's, there's got to be a high school field in Elko. Just meet them there. Yeah, it all makes sense. This Halfway year. there. Yeah. New Mexico Bowls and Florida, Dallas, <laughs> wherever you want to put it. Throw, throw it anywhere you want. So uh, the question of the day for us has been, uh, of the teams in front of BYU, how many of them could BYU beat? You watch some of these teams, you're watching football on a Saturday, you look at some of them and think, definitely win, definitely lose, I don't know, feels like a toss-up. You know, uh, I'm looking at it right now. I, I think Oklahoma's playing solid right now. They took a couple L's early in the season. But uh, Indiana, without their quarterback, I think they're obviously very beatable. Even at Georgia, actually. Georgia, uh, their best win against an Auburn team is 5-3. I mean, yeah. it, 
they're, they're Georgia. Don't get me wrong, but and they got a, they've got a good defense. But at the end of the day, they haven't been that impressive this year. Um, then, of course, Iowa State, you, we, that's been well documented their first game of the year, losing to Louisiana. So I, I think, listen, I think this is a BYU team that, um, you know, as we see, if they come out focused, they can put up points in a hurry against a team like Boise State. And we saw in the second half against Houston. And so, yeah, when you, when you have an explosive offense like BYU has, you can really hang with anybody in the country. Uh, and, then, and then, frankly, you have a, a defense uh, that BYU has. Listen, they, they tended to kind of bend. They don't quite break. Um, uh, but then they've also stepped up to create turnovers, and, and they are a defense that flies around and makes plays. Uh, and you kind of add all that together. And then in special teams, you've got Jake Overall, who still hasn't missed a field goal this season. Uh, and so you, you've got this combination of a team that uh, I think they can wreak some havoc, especially on all these teams in front of them. So, you know, I, I don't think those, those top four, I think BYU would struggle with, even the top five, frankly, A&M uh, and on. Uh, but anybody below there, Cincinnati, Georgia, Iowa State, Miami, Oklahoma and Indiana, I, I don't see why BYU wouldn't be favored or uh, at least have a really good shot against those teams. And I think that's the frustrating part, right? Once again, BYU up in the face of the ranking, and there's zero way they can go out there and prove it right now. And BYU's trying desperately to prove it, and you can't have anybody step up to the plate. So it's, uh, it's, it's a frustrating time, I think, for not only Tom Homo and Kalani and the team, but for fans also. Well, David, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for joining us, and we will uh, talk to you next week, and I think we will just have the uh, image of people hitting refresh on Twitter every 20 seconds uh, stuck in our mind now. Yeah, let's, let's root for the teams in front of BYU to lose this week so they keep climbing the polls. How about that? Thanks, David. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former BYU linebacker. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, the former Aggie quarterback, coming up next. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I want to see the productive targets targeted. Brian Thompson needs to be targeted no fewer than 10 times a game. And I don't care how you get it to him. The same thing can be said about Brent Keithy. And then, if those two are closed up and the passing game isn't working, go to Ty Jordan. Wilmore, Brumfield, you guys are great. You'll get your reps when Ty's tired, but put the ball in Ty Jordan's hands. He needs a minimum of 15 to 17 carries a game. I know that this can upset people, but if you're out there and you're listening, be you a coach or a fan or whoever, and you're saying to yourself, well, you're not targeting Thompson because Jake Bentley can't can't make all the throws? If that's the issue, well then find a freaking quarterback that can make all the throws. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at the Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Boom! 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 Riley Jensen, our college football insider, going to join us here uh, momentarily. We got Frank Dolchek, Utah football analyst, insider for the Zone Net- Sports Network, coming up at uh, 9.05. PK, we had some uh, jazz people uh, made available yesterday. Quinn Snyder talked with the media, Rudy Gobert uh, on very short notice, Bojan Bogdanovich as well. You take anything away from all of that? Is uh, They're not doing a media day this year, so we're just going to have these. Uh, Zoom availability is kind of sprinkled throughout the calendar. Well, your question to Quinn Snyder was just absolutely brilliant. Let's get that out of the way. You want to know about the rookies and uh, see if they can actually get out on the floor. I'm not so sure they can, but uh, time will tell. But uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, him being available to be healthy at the start of the season, I think right now is the number one story. 
Sounds like he won't be. Um, he didn't want to say anything definitive there, but he hasn't done any contact work yet. So that was uh, that's kind of a little bit of a red flag there if you're not playing five-on-five five and fighting through screens and rebounding and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he is out shooting, so he's on the court and he's moving around. He's doing a little bit of work, but that's not the same. So we'll see. Maybe he'll be available, but he didn't really want to... Uh, he didn't really want to be nailed down on that either way. So, all right, DJ and PK, time to welcome in Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Riley, good morning. What's happening, guys? It's all about the Cougars in the New Year's Six, 13th now, up from 14th. Are they being treated fairly? Will anybody play them on December 19th when a lot of teams will be idle? Because there'll be some teams in conference title games, but there'll be some uh, there'll be some teams available. What do you think? Where's this headed? Um, I I personally feel like this is headed in the wrong direction. Now, that's just a gut feeling. Um, I don't think it's right. I think it's – I think this is a very good football team. And really, when you, when you think about this and you start thinking about the reasons that they're holding this against BYU for strength of schedule, they couldn't do anything about that. They couldn't do anything about that. And I just don't think that a New Year's Six Bowl – cost them that much cachet with BYU, nor does it cost them gate or eyeballs as BYU has, you know, eyeballs around the country to put them in a New Year's Six Bowl to kind of to kind of put a cherry on top of this season for BYU. I just don't understand the thoughts and the hopes of, of keeping them out. I, I don't get it. it. It feels different to me than it does with other teams. It feels like every other team's getting every opportunity to get in into that scenario that's similar to BYU and that BYU's having everything used against them to keep them out. So we had on David Nixon, a former BYU linebacker, does media work for BYU television. He was talking about how uh, this exposure that they've gotten right now has been pretty good and it's helped recruiting. And he, rec- he uh, referenced a kid at Tempview that uh, committed here uh, over the weekend, I guess, uh, a defensive player. Uh, my thought for you, since you're involved in this, is how much does the immediate success play into what kids decide ultimately about where they want to play? Well, I think I think any success right now on a, on a national level for BYU is helpful. So just the fact that they're being talked about, whether it's good or bad, what's the old you know PT Barnum Bailey quote? I don't I don't care what you say about me. Just make sure you spell my name right. I think I think the publicity for BYU is all good right now, whether it's, oh, they shouldn't be in, they should be in, all those sorts of things. And you have to remember, you know, when I'm working with college athletes, a lot of them are, are born in, in 2002, right, 2003. Their earliest memories of football might be the University of Utah in the 2008 Sugar Bowl. Now, that doesn't seem very long to, uh, ago to us, but to someone who's being recruited and someone who is thinking about where they're going to play college football, it helps for them to see BYU in a national light because up to this point, it's been all, all University of Utah, especially in this state. And, and I, think that's an important, I think that's an important thing for BYU. I do think the Logan Fano kid that you're referring to at, at Tempview, I feel like he was a BYU guy no matter what. I mean, if you look into his background, you look into to a lot of different things. I think he was a BYU guy, 
But I don't think David Nixon's wrong in the sense that this is going to be good for recruiting for BYU. Riley Jensen, college football insider, uh, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, how well um, how well vetted is this year's recruiting class going to be? And how much is this going to be a free-for-all? Coaches are hoping they hit it right. Maybe taking smaller classes because they haven't had a chance to evaluate players in a lot of uh, cities and a lot of states uh, on the field this year. Well, I think if, if, you're, if you're to look at what's going on and what I'm seeing, and, and this is just from the outside looking in, right, uh, there's lots of really, really good football players being offered preferred walk-ons right now in the class of 2021. And really the victim of, of COVID-19 right now is this, this class, this senior class. And, you know, a lot of the players in the state of Utah got a chance to play. That helped some of them. I think it helped Jackson Dart tremendously uh, from Cora Canyon High School when he's the only one. Uh, that they can really look at for like the first three weeks of the season. Then he plays on national TV against Bingham and plays well. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of players that I think are really good football players in the state of Utah that are not being offered Division One, not being offered to Weber State and these schools, uh, you know, in Southern Utah, and they're they're offering them preferred walk-ons. So what I think is going to be a result of this this class and and what happens is. They're offering them preferred walk-ons that allows them a little bit of an adjustment with their senior class. And then what they can do is they can offer them scholarships later um, if they pan out to be what they thought they were going to be, which is a risk because not every kid can afford to do that. Not every kid wants to do that. Not every kid is going to believe you when you say that that's the plan. But to me, just looking at it, I think there's going to be less offers than there's been in a long time in the class of 2021, and that's not because they're not as good as they've been. Um, and it and and I think you're going to see lots of really cool stories like walk on from Sandy, Utah, walk on from Salt Lake City, Utah. Amazing story how he walked on, but it won't be as amazing as we thought because I think some of these coaches were like, "Hey, listen, we just." here can you come as a preferred walk-on and then you know as soon as you start playing well we're going to get you back on scholarship so will that extend into next year too so the juniors would be affected in the same way that the seniors are now it depends on what happens in the next three months four months um i didn't see what happened on the vote but there was a vote with the ncaa saying uh, that there would be a blackout period through April, right? That hurts next year's class because that that is the time where a lot of these college coaches go to see if a kid passes the eyeball test. So they'll get junior film, they'll look at it, they'll say, "God, this guy looks pretty good. I got to get my eyeballs on him, see if see if he looks the part, see if he moves like we think he moves in person when he's doing his weightlifting class agilities or." He's playing on the basketball team. They go to observe him. And so, yeah, it could really hurt some kids if if that vote happens and if COVID and the vaccine and all the different things that are going on um, don't accelerate, you know, some return to normalcy. I don't know that we're ever going back to what we were, but some some return to 
a place where kids can get looked at. I mean, it's such a huge deal to college coaches. I'm not sure that I believe in it, but there's no question that when you talk to a college coach, he has to get his eyes on him. He's not going to offer him without seeing him in person. The Utes lost at Washington. I think to the average fan, they looked better. Certainly the 21-point lead will get fans uh, fired up. But then the second half went all wrong, and there were four more turnovers. Do you see them improving? Do you have a lot of hope for them? Are you uh, face-palm to the forehead over all the turnovers, and that trumps everything? What are you thinking? I actually thought they got better last game. And I, and I thought I saw signs that that this team could be that they could evolve into what they want to be. Look, it's not it's not the best product that Utah's put on the field in the last four or five years. But when I look at it, I feel like there's a lot of young talent, and I feel like a lot of the mistakes are young mistakes. So I don't feel like they're – I feel like some of the turnover stuff, I feel like some of the mistakes that are being happened – are, that are happening are, are more like, okay, he's young in the program. He's still learning what to do. He's still learning that when he makes a great run and breaks a tackle and gets outside, he's really got to protect the football because that's when people are looking to get the football out of your hands. Um, you know, this guy gets beat here or beats beat there on a, on a pass play because his eyes were in the wrong place. That's a young mistake. But I think this is an extremely athletic team. I think this is a team that in a year or two is going to be right back to where Utah's been for a long time. And I, don't, I, I, I just don't feel like there's any need for concern or worry for the University of Utah. In fact, you know, and, and we talked about this on this show a few weeks ago, I, mean, I don't know why you just don't try out a whole bunch of dudes and not worry about this season. Kyle's not going anywhere. He signed an extension. Make this your spring ball. Make this your, uh, you know, your your opportunity to build as much depth and build as many players as you can, and then really know who you have going into next season. I, I mean, I think there's four bowl games in the Pac-12 that have been canceled now. I mean, what what are, what are you playing for at this point, other than to get ready for next year? In my opinion, and I I don't know that that's the attitude that Kyle will take or the, or the one that he should take, but in some ways, I'm just like. Does this season matter at this point? Does it, does it really matter to a lot of teams? I mean, it, it does matter to a few teams, and there are a few teams that are competing for a national championship or for bowl games that are going to pay a lot of money, but how, mu- how much does it really affect them to, to, to build for next season? And I'm not saying it because you need to throw your hands up in the air like the season's over. I'm just saying you have enough depth and you have enough players that you could just really like put some guys in some difficult situations and see how – See how they respond mentally and physically to these situations. Do you know if Utah has offered this Corner Canyon quarterback? Uh, you're talking about Jackson Dart. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm, I'm not positive on that. Um, you would think. You would think that if they they were going to offer him, that they were to offer him, you know, so that everybody knows and that everything's you know out in the public after what happened uh, with the last quarterback and Zach Wilson uh, right. and the la- you know, with Tuttle and all that kind of, you'd hope that the lesson would be learned like, Hey, if you really want a kid, you should offer him. Don't, don't keep it on the down low. Don't do anything like that. Just offer him and, and let the kid that is the one that's willing to compete be the one that stays in your program. Uh, to me, that's what I was going to ask you would- about your thoughts on, 
just offering one quarterback and being married to that one because he won't come if you offer somebody else? You know, it, it kind of depends on how good you think he is. I mean, clearly in the past, University of Utah thought that Tuttle was going to be great, and, and that hasn't been the case. Um, I just think it's too hard. I think there's so many variables that go into the quarterback position that it's way too hard to just offer one guy and say, like, yeah, you're, yep, we're going to hitch our wagons to you because we know that you're going to be good. I, there's just way too much stuff mentally, physically, emotionally, um, academically that goes into playing that position leadership-wise as a quarterback. But I don't know why you wouldn't want to offer more than one quarterback in every class and see which one has the moxie and isn't scared to compete and says, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Bring it on. You know, you know what I mean? I, the, the one thing that I get concerned about, and, and because I'm associated with my own camp, Mountain West Elite, I'm, I'm part of the problem. So, I, I, so, so this is ironic that I'm saying this. But one of the things that I, that I think is a problem is the quarterback position has kind of been turned into the AAU thing, right, where – they're coddled a little bit. They're brought along. They're they're thought of like if you go to this camp or this camp, you're going to have a you're going to opportunity to get a scholarship to that camp or that camp or to this school or this school. And I just don't like the way that looks. I don't like the way that feels at the quarterback position. You know, even back as far as 22 years ago when I was playing quarterback, I mean everybody calls a quarterback a prima donna, and I I was always fighting that stigma. I was always fighting that that process of like, Hey, I'm here to work. I'm here to work with you guys to play with you guys. Don't, 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 don't fall for any like preconceived stereotypes that I'm a, that I'm a, a prima donna. And the, and the current situation is 10 times worse or 20 times worse than when I played for labeling a quarterback as a prima donna. Cause they really are coddled. I mean, you look at Jake heaps when he was coming out of high school, he had four division one wide receivers. Every time he went to a seven on seven camp, he had, eight Division One wide receivers playing on his team. He was set up to succeed. Everything was snowplowed. Everything was paved for him to succeed. And I think part of the problem with Jake, and I, I, listen, there's a lot of people out there that know him, and I know that he's a good person. I'm not, I'm not going after him personally. But I think that the first time that he felt real adversity was when he was in college, and I thought that was problematic. I do think he was talented. I do think that he had all the skills. But I think putting all these players around a quarterback to make him look good and to make him his him his most the most recruitable possible doesn't always build the moxie and the mental toughness that you need to play that position. It is a tough position. I don't care if you're at a G five school in the middle of Toledo, Ohio, playing quarterback is a position that's criticized and if you don't have that intestinal fortitude to handle it, it, it's, it can get you. It can get you down. It can get you in a bad place, and it can affect your play. How relieved were you to see your Aggies win a game? And are they going to win a second or third one? Air Force and CSU don't appear to be all that. I, 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 listen, I felt good about it as, as, a, as, a, as an alum, as a former quarterback there. You just like to see him win, and and you know there's a, there's everybody out there like well it's just New Mexico and nobody saw it and it, you know if a tree falls in the woods does it really happen? Yes, it does, and yes, it matters, and it matters to those kids, and a lot of those guys that are in the program that they they've put a lot of blood and sweat and tears into the program, and they're they're to be commended 
for winning a Division One football game in a less than desirable situation. That's that's a tough situation to play in, and it's going to be tough for the last two. I think they're going to get one more win. I feel like the enthusiasm and the energy on the team is good. I feel like Frank Miley's done a great job of of running the troops in in a very tough situation, and I think they'll get one more. I, I don't know why. I just it's my gut feeling that they're going to win one of these two. So when they won that game, you saw some of the players uh, run up to Frank as he was crossing the field to go do the post-game deal with uh, Gonzalez and the Mexico coach. How much do you read into that if you're the athletic director? Okay, these guys really like him. They're playing hard for him. But also not get caught up in the immediacy of the moment as to far as is that best for the program long term? Well, I think you have to read into it. I think you have to look at that. I think you have to observe that. And I think that's certainly part of the puzzle and part of the picture that goes into hiring your next coach. You know, I think in a lot of ways, Frank Miley has a great opportunity to kind of just like, you know, audition for the job. He's the one who has the reins. He can pull the levers. He can do the things that he needs to do to kind of keep the pro keep the program in a, in a respectable place. And if he makes a good enough argument here, he can be the guy that gets hired. But I think there's a whole there's a whole slew of other things that goes into hiring a new coach. I don't know what those are. I don't know what um, John Hartwell feels like are the most important things. But he's been doing it for a long time, and he has very very capable people on his staff to help him to choose the next coach at Utah State University. And I don't know. I just I feel good about the program. I don't. I I, I kind of live by the the phrase. It's never as bad as it seems, and it's never as good as it gets. I just I don't think it's as bad as everybody thinks it is up there. Riley, we appreciate a few minutes as always, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. I, I freaking love your show. Thanks for letting me be on. College football insider Riley Jensen joining us every week. Frank Dolce, our Ute insider, coming up at nine oh five. Stay with us. The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Interesting to hear Boyan talk about his injury, Gordon. I was in pain for most of the season. It was tough to me when I realized that I had torn my ligaments. I was the first one that trying to talk everybody to let me play. That's a very Boyan thing, like, no, I'm not getting surgery, I'm fine. I've never suffered that injury, and I don't know what it takes to rebound in the way the Jazz want him to. He's a tough dude. I mean, you remember back, it was either the first or the second game where he had a ankle roll yes. that was awful. Like, it was hard to watch. It was bad. And he missed a game! And yeah. if you look throughout his entire career, he's a tough dude. He just doesn't miss games. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. You know what BYU and BYU football fans want for their Christmas gift, PK? A trip to a New Year's Six Bowl. And it is not clear that they will get that the College Football Playoff Committee ranked BYU at 13, up one spot. They moved in front of Northwestern, who lost. So the question of the morning, can the Cougars beat any of the teams ranked ahead of them? Now, we've gotten a lot of responses. Uh, no chance. No way. No how. Also, of course, uh, but there are a couple that are kind of breaking out new ground here. Um, one of them, Wilson for Heisman. Nobody else has really said this. He says, I know they're not supposed to look at this, but 
If BYU beat the teams they're supposed to be last year and won 10 games, they'd be looked at in a lot better light for a New Year's Six or even the playoffs right now because everyone does look at past seasons. With those three losses that everyone still grinds their teeth over last year, Toledo, South Florida, Hawaii, 10-3 and BYU, they get ranked a little higher, they got people coming back, they're in a better spot to start with, they got a little more credibility, and instead of 13, they're 9 or 10. You buying it? I'm buying it as a public perception, but I think the committee needs to look deeper into it on that. And I've always believed that your past reflects upon what you get in the NCAA seating in, in terms of basketball. You know, BYU had some real good teams under Steve Cleveland, and I thought they got seated woefully low. And it's because, uh, well, those few years that he took to rebuild the program, it sucked. And so they didn't have any history. So, yeah, I think that factors into it. I don't think it should, but I think that's more realistic that it does. Because I think if you're the committee this year, you should know that BYU wasn't prepared to be consistent last year. They weren't ready. It's just not who they were. Because we can go back and forth, but if you study it this year compared to last year, it becomes abundantly clear, okay, Zach had an injury, and he wasn't as good. He wasn't as mature as a player. And neither was Gunnar Romney. Neither was Dax Mill, for that matter, right? They just simply weren't as mature as a player. And they had some guys, particularly on the back end, who were in and out of the lineup. You know, obviously Troy Warner wasn't available most of the season. So there's explanations as to why what occurred last year actually did occur. And that's where you need to be able to really delve deep into it. And we do it because we do it for a living. And our listeners do it because they're fans. And you fans don't want to hear it because they don't like BYU. We understand that. But the BYU fan who has the sophistication, which I think there are a lot of them out there, and can look at it as a fan objectively, which is somewhat of an oxymoron. I understand that. But I think you can understand that they just weren't prepared to win those games that they should have won last year. Because if you take this schedule that they have this year, put it last year with the same circumstances last year, they're not 9-0. and 100% they lose games 100% last year. And I will circle yeah. the game that they would absolutely lose. Houston. On the road, UTSA like those three maybe games. Too. Maybe UTSA at home, you're right. Yeah, they certainly had bad home losses over the years. But last year it was three road losses uh-huh. to 7-6, uh, and 7-6, and six, and 8-6 and six teams. And that is the neighborhood where Houston is trending. And Houston had the lead in that game. And it wasn't going well. And BYU was able to turn it around in the third quarter and then blow it open in the fourth. And a year ago, they gave the games away in the fourth quarter. They got outscored. They got, I got to look up the numbers. It was like 37 to 10 or something like that. It was terrible in the fourth quarter of those three games. The fourth quarter in Houston, totally different. They owned the fourth quarter. It's like you said, they weren't ready to own the fourth quarter on the road when things weren't going well. Yeah. And it's and a I different deal the this year. Sh- yeah. The committee should know that. And to be able to, actually, it should work into their advantage instead of their disadvantage because they should realize that what they were last year was the process of development that led to this season. Because the teams that they lost to last year, I don't think that they're that much better than some of the teams that they've beaten this year. 
But yet we look at it this year because they're winning. Ah, these teams suck. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, I'm sure they do to an extent. Remember what extent? It's not a killer schedule. Everybody agrees on that. But still, they were losing those ball games that way last year because it's it's a. That's what I keep saying. It's about BYU. It goes back to Urban Meyer. When I press play, I'm studying BYU because that's the issue. Is BYU ranked too low? Well, Urban wants to find out, and he puts Cincinnati in that case, too. Is Cincinnati ranked too low? Those are the two teams. So what Urban does is he puts the tapes in, old school, metaphorically speaking. He presses play, and he sees for himself this player, that player, so forth and so on. They are good. They're quality. They're big-time players. So he comes to the conclusion, based on his 30-plus years, that these two teams are ranked lower and should be ranked higher. DJ and PK, we're taking a break. When we come back, Frank Dolce, youth football analyst and insider for the Zone Sports Network, joins us. He's coming up next. Stay with us.